This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Today is Saturday, October 12th, 2019. On this day in 1964, painter Mary Pinchot Meyer was shot to death in the Georgetown neighborhood of Washington, D.C. Her death has been tied to conspiracy theories surrounding the assassination of John F. Kennedy, with whom she was romantically linked. But the murder remains officially unsolved. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Every day, we flip back the calendar to this date years ago and recount one event from true crime history. I'm Vanessa Richardson, and today we're going back to October 12, 1964, when Mary Pinchot Meyer was shot during her daily walk. The only suspect ever officially tied to the murder was acquitted at trial, and the rumors surrounding how and why she died were never laid to rest. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Before we unpack the ramifications of the murder, let's go back to the morning of October 12th, just before noon. Mary stood looking at her canvas, head cocked to the side and blonde bob falling softly over her face. Blue and gray pigments today, airy, cool, and crisp. Detached, she sighed. She'd been feeling that detachment for a while, but it was good to get the negative energy out on canvas, onto something more or less beautiful. This one was probably done, She'd take her lunchtime walk before deciding. Mary's rhythm around the studio was practiced and serene. Set the fan before the canvas, off with the smock, brushes in the sink. She knew every crevice of the space, the shelves of tools and paints, the stacks of canvases in the corner, the mewling cat running in and out of the open garden door. This was her home. She ran her slim hands along the wooden shelves, a vague smile illuminating her pretty face. She pulled a gray mink and lambswool sweater out of the cupboard, and then another layer, a fuzzy blue angora. The paint-spattered pedal pushers and canvas tennis shoes would be good enough for this morning. Who would see her on her walk anyway? Her lover? Unlikely. He was dead, she reminded herself with a grimace. Well... 
the lover she thought about the most these days anyway. The handsome painter she'd been sleeping with was still around, and her ex-husband. Well, he was still around just the way she was, an emotional wreck held together by good breeding. But John, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, poor man, dead when he'd just gotten started. Another sigh, a quick scoop of the cat from the floor, and a kiss goodbye. It was high time to clear her mind with fresh air. Mary marched out the door, determined as ever to fight her way past the grim specter of death. It seemed to haunt her every year. Her half-sister, claimed by suicide, her beautiful little boy, just nine years old, stolen from her by the crushing head of a speeding car. And now, again, John, her lover and her friend, ripped from her and the nation in the blink of an eye. But here she was, alive, with her studio and the beautiful October morning all around her, in the soft embrace of Angora and Lambswool. She hugged her arms about herself as she descended from Georgetown's quiet cobblestone streets down toward the Potomac River and the canal towpath. As she passed M Street, a black car slowed next to her, its rear window rolled down, and Polly Wisher stuck her head out. She called out to Mary with a laugh and a wave before rolling on. Mary smiled softly to herself. Well, she had her friends too, and all the mad drama of their strange little Georgetown world here with its strident power brokers and clever, pretty wives. Their world of drinking and liaisons and whispered secrets, full of things she knew and didn't. Slowly, the cobblestones and well-maintained townhouses gave way to the little towpath and rustling trees, whose leaves were only just beginning to turn in October's thin, cold light. Mary gazed at those leaves, as transfixed as ever. She might be almost 44, her birthday just around the corner, but nature's color palette only seemed to get more vibrant and beguiling with every year, and with every painful memory. This was her respite. She threw her head back and inhaled. Things weren't easy, but life, life was still so sweet. Then out of nowhere, Something cold slammed into her neck. Coming up, Mary's private life becomes public discussion. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself... What is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Now, back to the story. Shortly after noon on October 12, 1964, Mary Pincho Meyer went out for her daily walk along the Potomac River, but an assailant disturbed her peace. He seized her from behind, and moments after she cried out for help, he shot her point-blank in the side of the head. In her final seconds, she fought for life, but she was losing too much blood, losing consciousness. 
Her assailant ended the struggle when he pressed his gun to her back and shot her a second time as she fell onto the riverbank. A mechanic working on a car on the street above the towpath heard Mary's cry and the ensuing gunshots. They raced to the stone wall overlooking the river immediately, but by the time they made it to the edge, Mary Pincho Meyer was lying dead on the riverbank. She wasn't alone, though. Standing near her corpse, the mechanic described, was a black man in a light jacket, dark slacks, and a dark cap. A full police crew was at the scene within 90 minutes, thanks to witnesses who immediately ran for help. The crew discovered a man named Ray Crump Jr. in the woods nearby. He matched the mechanic's description. His clothes were wet, he had a cut on his hand, and he was full of stories about what he was doing at the scene of the crime. At first, Crump said he had been fishing and had dropped his pole into the river, then jumped into the water to retrieve it. But it was his jacket and cap that the police found in the Potomac, while his fishing rod was safely at home in his closet on the other side of the city. Then Crump said that he'd been drinking beer by the riverbank, fell asleep, and tumbled into the water, a more likely scenario. But the lies undermined Crump's credibility, and the mechanic identified him as the man he'd seen by Mary's body. Crump was booked for murder. Crump's defense, run by trailblazing civil rights activist and lawyer Dovey Roundtree, latched onto several important factors surrounding the case. First of all, the murder weapon was never found. While the prosecution speculated that it was somewhere at the bottom of the Potomac, without it, their case was anything but airtight. In fact, all the evidence pointing to Crump was circumstantial. Roundtree insisted that Crump also didn't know Mary, had no evident motive for killing her, and didn't have the body size, appropriately lucid state of mind, or skill to kill with such precision and efficiency as Mary's killer had. While the prosecution suggested that motive for the murder could have been sexual and pointed to Crump's prior arrest record for theft, Roundtree's defense put them to shame. Crump was acquitted on all charges. No other suspects were ever connected to the crime. However, the public and the media had plenty of their own theories about what had happened. Some focused on the tense racial politics in the U.S. at the time of Mary's murder and suggested that Crump had, in fact, been guilty. He'd killed Mary in a haze of anger at the unjust systems which had left him poor and without opportunity. But there's another theory in Washington at the time of Mary's death, which still lingers in the darker corners of the internet. This second hypothesis focuses less on Mary's death and more on the peculiarities of her life. In 1962, Mary was reportedly romantically involved with President John F. Kennedy. While their affair had apparently cooled by the time he was assassinated in 1963, they were still old friends, and Mary remained a part of the Kennedy circle. She was also a part of Washington's general milieu of power brokers. Mary's ex-husband, Cord Meyer, was a top man at the CIA. James Angleton, head of counterintelligence, was Cord's close friend and well acquainted with Mary. 
She also socialized with Washington's top journalists and their socialite wives. Mary could have known almost anything, from state secrets to damaging information about the dead president himself. Some people wondered if she could have even known something about President Kennedy's assassination, and if she too was assassinated to ensure she stayed quiet. There are some strange facts that lend credibility to this argument, including a heavily redacted FBI memo that states a meeting between the FBI and several senior CIA men must be canceled because two of the CIA men in the meeting have been very much involved with matters pertaining to the death and funeral of Mrs. Mary Pinchot Meyer. This memo was circulated on the day of Mary's death. Counterintelligence head James Angleton reportedly ended up with Mary's diary and burned it. These factors could simply be a testament to how intimately Mary's life was tied to the shadowy Washington world of these CIA men. But we may never know if her death was something more sinister. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. If you'd like to delve deeper into the story of Mary Pincho Meyer, check out the episodes of Unsolved Murders that investigate the case. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Carrie Murphy, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Travis Clark. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Nora Battelle. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 